0: Heads up, dear listener. This is Ian McKenzie, founder of the Mythic Masculine Podcast. And before we jump into the episode, I want to tell you about the next A Gathering of Stories online event. Back in February, we brought together renowned storytellers, musicians, and poets to explore the soul of masculinity. On July 31st, we're doing it again. This time, we're exploring the question, what power lies within the heart of the feminine? This one-day livestream event will weave a diverse tapestry of story, musical performances, spoken word, and movement. The incredible lineup includes Indigenous elder Grandma Rose, poets Naima Lightseed, Maya Luna, and Lila June, storytellers Leah Lam and Genevieve Zofia Dow, with musical performances by Yaima and Safai Labelle, plus more performers to come. This event takes place on Lamas, July 31st, and tickets are offered as pay what you can. To register your spot, head to agatheringofstories.com. It's going to be amazing. Okay, thanks for listening. And now, on to the episode. On today's episode of The Mythic Masculine.
1: You think you know what masculine is, but you don't. And you think you know what feminine is, but you don't. All you know is how they behave in a power over paradigm. But if you were to take those same energetics and plug them into an entirely different paradigm, they would behave in an entirely different way. Wow. That's such a powerful reframe, right? (laughs) And today I'm actually, you know, kind of just saying it in general. We think we know what it means to be human, but we don't. All we know is how a human being behaves in this power over paradigm. But what could a human be in another paradigm? And so I propose, well, why not a thriving life paradigm? Who, Who is the human being then?
0: What does it mean to be a man today? The old archetypes of masculinity are dissolving, and the new ones are just beginning to rise. In the era of Me Too and biospheric collapse, how might we look to the old myths for guidance to navigate this space between stories? This podcast explores the historical, cultural, and contemporary voices that are shaping this dynamic conversation of the emerging masculine. Greetings, dear listeners. I'm your faithful host, Ian McKenzie. Today, I'm happy to share my interview with Pat McCabe, an Indigenous grandmother, artist, activist, and ceremonial leader. She is an international voice for global peace and someone I seem to continually cross paths with at New Paradigm gatherings around the world. I suppose we're following the same song lines. Recently, on Facebook, I asked others to speak about the value of men's work and Pat wrote an intriguing response where she named her own explorations into a thriving life paradigm and a new narrative for the sacred masculine that is longing to be born. In this episode, I learned more about her personal journey with spirit, how she integrated her rage as a woman on this planet, and the deep prayer she holds for men to connect once again as functional members of the hoop of life. By the end of our conversation, both of us are in tears. I wish the same for you. Listen now to Pat's beautiful opening prayer. Oh,
1: Wakanda! Nkashela, unshima ka. Shema, Shachay, holy people all around. It's me, Wiyakpa, Najinwi, coming before you on this holy day. Wopila. Thank you for this sacred gift of life. Thank you for this day. Thank you for all you've given to me and to my family and to all my relations. Thank you for making this creation so beautiful. And thank you for making me so beautiful. Thank you for making Ian so beautiful. And all all of this life so beautiful Um, such a such a blessing and I'm grateful for this life and just ask that uh, that you might sit right in the middle of this conversation and that you um, come through us and give us insight and understanding as we seek to find right relations with ourselves, with each other, with this Mother Earth, with the spiritual world, which is really all one world, seems like. So um, let this conversation serve the very highest possibility for life and light and love. And today uh, we're, we're coming together. Two, two are gathered here. To um, inquire and to think about and to express what we um, understand or what we're trying to understand about about the masculine medicine and the thriving life design of the sacred masculine as it is expressed in the five fingered ones and maybe even just as a, a medicine in general that is really within woven th- throughout creation. Um, so I just ask for your for your help and your guidance and give us good memory and good heart, mind, body, spirit and show us the truth. And show us what real love is here. And for all my relations.
0: Thank you, Pat McCabe. You're starting us off in a beautiful way. This interview, this conversation here uh, on the mythic masculine, because as I look through... Your work and, and the interviews you've given and the, you know the writings that you've shared that you you embody such a strong connection to spirit, and you speak uh, of spirit, how it's guided you in, in how you're showing up and in, in the journeys and the ways that you've taken. And um, to begin, I'd love to actually hear a little more about how how that has how that happened for you, that how did spirit come to be such a powerful guide or beacon or, or companion in your life? Was there a moment that, you know, you woke to it uh, and said, Whoa, here we go. (laughs) Or was it, or was it a gradual coming to you?
1: (laughs) Kind of, Um, you know, so the history of my family, which you may have seen in some of my work um, is that my grandparents were taken into the Dutch Christian reform missionary residential boarding schools when they were children, young, young people. And then um, they ended up sending their ch- children, my so that's where my mom and dad met, and um, and so that was really running through our family was that was the Dutch Christian Reform Church way of seeing spirit, and I was raised really deeply in that. And you know what I realize? Um, I mean, I, later as I you know, when I hit teenage years, I sort of had some some pretty big problems and resentments with <laughs> with that history. And the imposition, and the lack of respect, and etc. The stealing of culture, but to be really truthful, um, I feel like I opened up to spirit in that church immediately. Like me and Jesus, we were <laughs> we were tight, you know. <laughs> and you know, when I was five years old, oftentimes in the churches, there'll be a moment where sometimes they'll say, you know, if you're feeling the spirit of Jesus, come on down to the front, and you know, and. There's something that you're going to do, you're going to commit or whatever. And man, I'd be up and off my seat every single time. And it was really confusing to me because my dad, um, because I was just this little kid, my dad would always put, you know, put his hand across me and sit me back. down. <laughs> so it was kind of confusing, you know, I was like, wow, but he just said, you know, he's just calling me and I'm feeling it, you know, and uh, so, I, so that created some confusion for me. But when I really looked back at it, I was like, wow, I, I was ready to respond immediately when i reached my teenage years i left the church and um and when i left the church and i and i find this a lot when i talk to people because christianity is such a a foundational part of colonialism honestly <laughs> that um that that a lot of the a lot of people who um who came to this country that's that's sort of in their in their field even if they're not practitioners or believers um it's around and so when, when, when I left the church, then it was like, if it, well, if not the church, then there's nothing. And, um, and so I kind of wandered the earth for, I don't know, about 15 years, feeling like I was just on my own here with whatever I could come up with. And then I hit a really difficult, difficult time of my life. Um, and I really was destroying myself, but I had children already. And I just thought, wow, I don't want to do this in front of them. I'd had elders and and relatives, uh, you know, destroy themselves in front of me as a child. And it's it's really confusing and it's really devastating. And so I thought, I just can't do this to my kids. So I sent out this call and I didn't know to what. Because, you know, it was kind of a, a really half-baked call. It was like, well, if anything's out there, and I know there's not, and if you love and care about me, which I know you don't, um, <laughs> You know, I'm 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 calling out because I need help for my children's sake. I'll humble myself to come before whatever might answer for my children's sake, and so I sent this cry out, and it was very sincere. And what came back was people inviting me to my very first Lakota inipi, my uh, the first uh, Lakota sweat lodge purification ceremony. And really, it was through there that I began to have this connection with spirit The 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 Lakota culture is a visioning culture. It's, it's in a way, I mean, I don't want to say it's assumed, but it's definitely not a surprising thing, um, to receive spiritual input and, and, and vision to guide words, actions, thoughts, our lives, you know? So, so that's where I've been pretty much parked for the last, I don't know, 25 years or so yeah it's just ever expanding there's no way to know everything there is to know of course about the great mystery but and but also through the the practices are expanding all the time so I guess that's sort of a, a synopsis of it
0: beautiful I'm struck by how you know we've crossed paths at a number of places from pioneers uh, in California to um, I, I we didn't cross paths at the time but you know to tamara eco village in portugal and i just feel like you're 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 following these lines this weaving this this web uh around the world at these these different nexus points it feels like of of transformation or of listening to these these sprouts of of what's emerging and i'm curious to learn like how do you know where to go or where the call is or why why has this been such a part of what feels like your mission to go to these different places or watering holes or movements and to to offer what you can
1: well i feel like none of us are here right now by accident i mean i don't think we ever come to this place this mother earth by accident anyway but definitely not now right? like you got if you're here there is a purpose you've got a you've got a really big gift and piece of the puzzle to offer and so so i have that sense about myself so the question is um how do i get out of my way enough to allow the new to come through and so that's really backwards from how I was raised. I was raised in, in, in high academics. My father went to Stanford. My brother went to Stanford. My daughter went to Stanford. My niece and nephew went to Stanford. I was sent to Phillips Exeter Academy, East Coast Prep School. Um, and in that way, you are, you are generating your own material for the world, I guess you could say. It's expected that you're going to generate it. And so I feel like this other way is opening up to what, what is possible. So that's why I say that in my prayer, I want to participate fully in the very highest possibility for life and light and love. And I'm going to say that I don't know what that is. So I can't generate it, but I can co-create it. And I can be a part of, of generating something. There's something about my organism and my, and my soul, and my light and my, but especially my willingness. So, you know, at a certain point when I, like I said, when I hit that place of desperation and just called out, you know, there's, there's really, <laughs> this is a funny thing to say, uh, strange thing, more than funny, I guess, but uh, I hit a place in my teenage years when I felt suicidal and I know there's a lot of people and I meet a lot of young people too, who are, or in that place or close to that place. And, um, and I guess what, (laughs) what I learned from that place, having not followed that through, um, is, is once you get to that place, um, then if you can walk through, if you can pass through that eye of the needle, then there's complete freedom because part of what I think made me feel get to that place was all the restrictions on me that I felt. All the, all the institutions, all the expectations, what was presented to me about what it means to be human. And it just, it was so painful. So when I came out the other side from that place, I, I felt like I had permission. It's like, well, if you, you get to have me, I'm not gonna leave this world. Therefore, I'm gonna call the shots now. <laughs> and I'm not gonna do everything you say. And, and people around me, you know, were supportive and said, great, we're just happy you're here, you know, and uh, what a thing huh? to have to go through all of that to come to this place where people can just accept you as you are and say, we're just happy you're here. You don't have to perform or do anything. Just, just be here with us. And, and so I think, you know, opening up that box of expectation, and then stepping into a spiritual relationship, really for the first time in an in-depth way, and really um, practicing, going to the ceremonies, learning what people do, learning how to support in the ceremonies, learning how to work together where you're not, where the goal is not for you to stand out and above everybody, but to synchronize and harmonize with everybody such that the collective energy can move and do something beautiful. All of that you know, really helped me to be able to surrender my own will my own will and my own great ideas <laughs> and my own, um, I don't know, it's such an interesting combination. So I guess what, what I'm getting at is, you know, ultimately, because it's kind of too simple of an answer, I think sometimes for me to say, well, I just, you know, people propose things to me and I ask spirit, is this a yes or a no? And if it's a yes, then it's, it's, full, it's full speed ahead. And sometimes when I say yes, you know, it means I actually have to pay to work. So that's completely backwards from every structure <laughs> that we know right now. You don't pay to work. Come on. You know, they want you, they got to come up with this. You know, it's like, no, if spirit says you go and they don't have any money, then I got to figure out Then I got, that's where I get to put my brain to use is figuring out, all right, well, how am I going to get the funds to get there? Cause I'm supposed to go. So it's, it's really working from a very different place. And so, yeah, you're right. I, I am on this like trail of places that, that seem to be, uh, significant in all different ways across the planet, but it's not my design. Um, I'm just following, I'm following, I'm following the spirit and spirits telling me, Spirit is telling me that you're, I'm weaving, I'm weaving something. And, you know, that's all I need to know. I'm like, okay, just, (laughs) my main concern is, you know, don't let me, don't let me deceive myself. Don't let me be deceived. Don't let me, Uh, move in delusion and illusion show me the truth and show me what real love is and um that seems to be plenty to 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 be on this journey you know
0: beautiful uh i believe i read it might have been your website um or elsewhere where you spoke or it was said that one of your main uh focuses is around the reconciliation between the genders uh, between, or between the masculine and feminine, and I would love to know how that came into your life as as a clear point of of healing that was needed, and and your willingness to surrender into what was needed there.
1: Well, you know, I um, so like I said, my father went to Stanford, and I got to spend some really formative years on the Stanford campus. Pretty, pretty progressive. Pretty. Open and liberal, certainly compared to my schools in New Mexico before I left, and uh, and so you know what was really proposed to me there was a lot about uh, the women's liberation movement. Even as a very young girl, so I was always told you could be, you could be anything you want. You can be an astronaut. You can be, you know, there's no limit. There's no difference. The genders are equal, and um, and so you know you should uh, not feel any limitation that way. And um, so that's kind of how things started for me, I guess, in a way, where I So, so my thought was that I needed to show men usually and at this point, it's my peers, you know, we're like 11, 12, 13, 14 years old, that I anything you can do, I can do better. And um, so I, I really traveled through life a lot like that for a long time. I really thought that that was about um, a way to heal the history of injustice, you know, from a very, from a very young perspective. But I will say that, you know, that was the other thing that happened when I got called into the sweat lodge was watching how gender was treated in in that ceremonial context. And I have to say, it's it's a really hard transition to make coming out of American girl mindset and going into a traditional ancient culture practice in which gender is held um as as a specific medicine, as a as specific energy that can help give healing and beauty to the whole community. And, um, but to really be able to receive that, I had to get past a lot of my outrage of the inequality of women that I'd been taught through American culture. Because immediately, as soon as, as soon as they divide the group up into, okay, all the women are gonna go in first and all the men will come in second and anybody, anybody gets to choose you know what, how they wanna identify and where they're gonna come in, but that's the general lay of the land, right? So right away, I'm like, okay, what's this? I'm, I'm like suspicious. Because <laughs> like, in, in American culture, as soon as you, you, well, today, you can't really even say all the women over here and all the men over there without having a lot of outrage. But, you know, back in the day, anytime you would do that, then it was time to be on high alert. You know, what, what's gonna happen? What kind of inequality or injustice could be brewing here, you know? And so it's been, a, it's been a big transition. So that was like part of the first healing for me was to realize that it's okay to, for me to identify as female and that I have a spiritual capacity being embodied in this way biologically, but it's not just biological, it's, it's, it's a spiritual medicine. And so to start to move into that place and to understand, and honestly, I feel like I have so much more to go in, in that road but um it was a pretty big departure so that's kind of i think where things started for me and then more recently what has brought this into a place of urgency well let's see i'm going to back up a little bit in the sweat lodge was the first place that i started asking myself is there such a thing as a divine a, a feminine divine being like could god be feminine because up until then, no. I mean, I didn't even know that that was my my baseline, but it, but it really was. And so I remember going through this phase in the sweat lodges where I was really praying, you know, show me the feminine face of the divine. Because I didn't know anything about it. And I had huge mistrust of women. Growing up, I felt like, you know, growing up with a lot of trauma going on around me and a lot of acting out from that trauma, a lot of painkilling going on all around me. You know, what I thought I saw was that the men had all the agency. Mm-hmm. They had freedom. They had that they had power with their freedom. And all the women seemed to sit back and just rage and rant and wring their hands and be completely focused on how they were going to try to get these guys to not do what they were doing. <laughs> and So I looked at these two scenarios and I said, well, which, which one do I want to be? And I said, definitely, I want to be with the men. Like I want to have that freedom and agency. I do not want to be sitting home wringing my hands and trying to control these guys. So I want to be the thing that has to be controlled. <laughs> I want to have that much freedom, you know? So I think about those things. But but in more recently, um, you know, I, and I've spoken a lot about this, but I, I, I had these visions um, come upon me about what took place during the witch hunts, the so-called witch hunts in Europe. And I was told that that point in our human history that was a big fork in the road for human beings and that we 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 made a choice there and and it set off a whole lot of domino effect that has led us to where we are today so it was proposed to me that if I could go back and reexamine that story like what happened there what all what were the dynamics of that and I don't know, I guess maybe recognize the truth of it from a different lens. Uh, Anyway, I was told to quote, retell the story, which I'm still learning about how do how do we retell those old stories? What does it really mean to retell it? And so part of the retelling of that story, because before, as soon as you say witch hunts, it's all about, you know, those horrible, horrible, dastardly men. And as I went through that visioning process, and as my spirit guides helped me to see things, I began to realize that the sacred masculine had been just as deeply violated as the sacred feminine at that time. And that all of the process you know, of subduing what, I, what I'll say was indigenous culture in Europe, all the methodologies of that, then tra- got on those boats and traveled all over the world and found us. But first it happened to the European people. And those methodologies were honed on European people. And that's why they knew exactly what to do when they found us. And so that created a lot of opening, not just between masculine and feminine, but also between indigenous and quote, non-indigenous or European descent people. But but in terms of with the men, you know, what I realized was that, that they, they were subjected to terrible things at that time. I mean, many of them were put to death, But also there's something really primally devastating to men when they can't protect. I feel like, you know, in in our culture, I I always hesitate to say these things because it's such a loaded thing in the world today to talk about gender. But culturally we say that, um, you know, the men's sort of archetypal spiritual um, capacity might be, to be protector and a provider. And so that system that took that arose during the, the witch hunts really stripped men of both of those capacities. They were not protectors. They could not be protectors. And we know what that's like because the same thing happened in, in, in our communities and with our people. That 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 invasion, that European invasion was so huge that our men just could not protect. What, what they felt was essential to be protected. Their loved ones, their daughters, their, their mothers, their wives, their sisters. And the same thing was hap- you know, happened in Europe at that time. And so I realized that a lot of those men who came over on the boats to see us, they were traumatized men. They had been forced to watch the tortures of their mothers, of their sisters, of you know, I mean, as little boys. And so if they weren't the ones who actually watched, they were the sons of those men or the grandsons of those men. And that kind of trauma definitely is gonna travel down the line for several, many generations. And so I realized those were the men that came on those boats. Anyway, it just all started making a lot more sense to me. So what happened for me in in that process was realizing how violated the masculine was and feeling for myself, you know, so much compassion. A like huge compassion for the first time, I think, really, a deep, deep compassion for men's nation's story in in this in this history, this human history. And what I was told during that time also was that you know right now your species is being asked to birth itself anew. And how are you going to do that with this wound at the core of your procreative ability? And so that's why you know, again, taking the lead from the spirits. There's many, many things we could look to that need healing. But what they pointed out to me was, hey, this is a big one, for especially for what has to happen right now. So they've got my full attention. I'm on it. I'm thinking about it. I'm watching it all the time.
0: Thank you for that. I, As you were speaking to the, I mean, really the, the anguish of the grief of not being able to protect the men, you know, in Europe and, and in these lands here that, I mean, I feel like the grief welling up in me, actually, of what that must have been like and, and lives, you know, within the DNA, I think, of of certainly traumatized European culture. And then, of course, here in the First Nations and Canada, where I'm from as well, and and the nations of America. I posted on my Facebook a few weeks back a question about the importance of doing men's work. And you wrote a very generous response, I felt, uh, which brought up this sense that, you know, as much of the conversation or the, and the reactivity around the dynamics between men and women or the masculine and the feminine is from what you called a, a power over paradigm, which I know, I think um, Rian Eisler, I think as well, you know, the chalice and the blade and and that there's, that conversation has been going on as well about the, the difference between understanding what's gone on as, as a problem with men, like a flaw in men as a whole, which I think sometimes like a wounded feminism can, can perpetuate versus a culture of domination. And therefore, if, if we're not able to see it from a cultural perspective, or at least my understanding seems to be, and that you're saying, then we don't understand actually that there's a diff, there's a whole different way that gender is held as you've been alluding to as well within an indigenous understanding that they have a particular medicine. And, uh, you use this phrase as well. We don't even know what the genders would be like, or particular masculinity in a, in a thriving uh, life paradigm. I think you said, and I would love to hear more about this this understanding that you carry around. You know how we understand what's going on now, but but within a dominator paradigm, and what could be possible within your travels that you found, and what you've received from spirit about what it could look like within a thriving Earth paradigm.
1: Well. Um, so part of where all that came from was being in ceremony and, and railing. I was becoming uh, an elder woman and a lot of people around me were telling me how much I was going to hate that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, and that I would become invisible and et cetera and, and, and irrelevant in the modern world. And um, so I was kind of feeling angry about that. And so I went into ceremony, many ceremonies actually, and but in one in particular, I was asking about, you know, what do we mean when we say feminine? What do we mean when we say masculine? Like, I don't even know what that means because those, those terms are so loaded in modern world in, in economics and health and in, in academics, um, you know, and so anyway, the spirit came back to me right away and said, now that's a great question. Now you're on to something, you know, asking that question. And, um, and that's when they said, you know, you, you think you know what masculine is, but you don't. And you think you know what feminine is, but you don't. All you know is how they behave in a power over a paradigm. But if you were to take those same energetics and plug them into an entirely different paradigm, they would behave in an entirely different way. And so, wow, that, that's such a powerful reframe, right. <laughs> and today I'm actually, you know, kind of just saying it in general, we think we know what it means to be human, but we don't. All we know is how a human being behaves in this power over paradigm. But what could a human be in another paradigm? And so I propose, well, why not a thriving life paradigm? Who, who is the human being then? From there, I just started thinking about, okay, so this is a, this is a power over paradigm. and I always see it in the form of like a, a pyramid and so, all the fruits of the labor from the lower parts of the pyramid are co- continuously flowing up to the top. So that's our dynamic that we've been looking at about the one percent and et cetera. And at first, it was just really screwing over people who couldn't even get in the paradigm—brown people, women, uh, people who didn't speak English, um, you know—and then it's gradually been creeping up the paradigm to affect more and more and more people until even, you know, the white Euro descent male is finding themselves in a very difficult position and so suddenly we have everybody's attention and I guess what I saw in it was that you know in a power over paradigm might makes right and so that means that naturally the men would dominate like they're physically more powerful I mean it was really a brute force situation (laughs) and has been and, and continues to be I mean we we, t- we think that we're so genteel now in our suits and ties and polished shoes and et cetera, but, but really that, that, that implied violence is just barely, barely below the surface. I mean, the competition is cutthroat. Any, anybody that misses a step, somebody else will step right in there and um, take that, you know, it's, a, it's an opportunity to make the kill. I mean, it's a, it's a very violent and vicious paradigm, <laughs> <laughs> but um, for everybody but the men will dominate in there and they have. And so, um, so of course we look at the men and I'm not saying that, I mean, I think the men do need to reflect on what am I doing in here (laughs) and, and what kind of accountability do I have? Yes, this is the paradigm. Yes. This is what tells me how I'm going to, how I could possibly feed and clothe a family and give shelter to a family but i think now we're being asked to say all right so that's the only paradigm you see but aren't you violating your ethic your core ethic over and over and over again by participating in there so men are really in a difficult place that way and i and i really can appreciate that but but in general you know i'm thinking to myself so you know if that's all a man a young boy first of all who's watching their father watching their grandfather if that's all they're presented with, you know, I, I give, I give a lot of compassion for you know, really an ignorance. It's like, well, that's, that's, this is it. This is the playing field. There is no other construct. This is it. And lately I've been really um, realizing and, and saying to myself, you know, Pat, you have to take into account that you get to step out of that world and that paradigm and into another one, another paradigm that has been running in the same place, with human beings, but is completely different. <laughs> I'm talking about indigenous paradigm, right? And so I have I have that experience. I get to have that experience and, and I get to have that clarity of like, no, there can be two very different ways of being here. But but I have to remember, and I'm starting to really try to, to bring this home to myself so that I can really be of service when I talk to quote non-indigenous people um, to really have have a way of expressing this because they don't have that opportunity to just step out of that paradigm and into something else and so what was that be like i don't know if i even know what that would be like um to just be feel bound in that paradigm so all this is to say that you know what i've been saying out loud and it's vulnerable it's vulnerable to to give compassion to men but that's a little bit maybe another subject i'll finish talking about this first but um but I felt like, you know, so it's the men aren't the paradigm. This is how they feel that they are forced to be by, by thinking that this is the only possible paradigm. But it's not them. It's the paradigm. And so I'm, I'm pretty dedicated to saying men aren't the patriarchy. And I myself have certainly met. A number of women who are much bigger patriarchs than any men <laughs> i've ever encountered so it just goes to show it's not really about that. it's not really about that it's 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 about what you have to do to have any success in that paradigm and so i i really so that's the invitation i feel like to me and to all of us is all right then well who who are men who are men if they are not there and to me that's a really exciting Uh, adventure (laughs) for us all that's still to come it's still it's in progress it's in progress but it's coming
0: Mm. i'm reminded of a bell hooks's book Uh, the will to change which um she speaks similarly in the sense of a of a a compassion for men that that they themselves as well are, are victimized deeply by the patriarchal systems and i feel in in what you're sharing too like this deep well of of compassion and i'm struck by also something you shared in the post on my on my facebook where you said coming to this understanding of men as well being you know subject to subject to the the consequence of this this paradigm that you were able to therefore no longer withhold love from men i think it was something like that where you said that that was such a deep pain actually that many women hold that they feel they must withhold love because of you know these things that have been perpetuated, and and that's that's in a way a justified stance, and and I'd love for you to speak about that. Um, you know, you mentioned it briefly just before as well, but um, I'd love to come to that now. Like this, this how that has been for you to to stand in that compassion and and what you've come up against actually, maybe in the cultural conversation at large with the willingness to extend compassion to men.
1: So I when I was going through a lot of visioning. It was it was really intense. I mean, I, I really didn't know if I was going to survive it. So, you know, I, I don't want to make it sound like it was just uh, an intellectual exercise. It was not. <laughs> it was a full-on spiritual, visceral, everything experience to, to go through all this visioning about what took place during the witch hunts, and 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 this and my spirit helpers were right there with me, but even so, I, I really felt like I might not make it through. Um, and and part of that was you know one having to fully full-on step into the rage I had as, as a woman We're being born female. I said, I didn't even know. I felt like I'd had this rage since I was born, since I first appeared on the earth as female. And it it was so pervasive that I feel like, I said, it was like, it's like a fish trying to feel like they're in water. And so I didn't even really know that that's what I carried until I started stepping into these visions. I mean, it was frightening because I got to I didn't have any choice really, but to just go full on into the rage, the full rage <laughs> of being female on the planet. And so I didn't really know where I was going to go. Uh, it's the second time the spirits have brought me through a place of, I would say hatred because I I'm, I'm pretty adverse to even beginning to entertain hatred and it's frightening to me, but I, but I had to go through that and, and face that place and my rage and my hate Um, skyrocketed and then and then I could hear this chorus going in the background as these visions were playing out about what took place and in the back and finally I started tuning into them I said it was like a Greek chorus and it was saying to me you'll you'll never serve this it'll never serve life light and love for you to view these events as men versus women which then just was like throwing gasoline on the fire I was like the hell you say look you know who are the judges who are the murderers who are the torturers who are the you know all this and I was like they're all men it's men it's the men but then you know after I went raging around for a little longer I, I came back and I said you know that, that voice never lies to you the one that saying that so you they're trying to show you something so you can be stubborn or you can try to understand what they're showing you and And that's when I realized, you know, it it wasn't a black and white situation, it never is. It's not between indigenous people and what we now call the United States and everybody else here either. It's just never full on black and white. There's nuance. And so what I began to see was, yeah, no, these men, some of these men were desperate, desperate to protect the, the women that they loved. Of course they were. And there were women in that circumstance who were setting up terrible things for each other to take advantage of the situation. So it wasn't black and white, you know, and so that was kind of where that that opening came. But I wanna say that, you know, as I began to really see, you know, well, and also I was told, uh, so I have this, in my cosmology, I have a trickster. And trickster can be quite serious. Some, you know, in modern culture, uh, as they look at indigenous culture and our view of trickster, they wanna make it into this playful, little entity that just kind of points out your foibles. But my elders say, oh no, it can be way, way, way more serious than that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, so, you know, what I was told during that time was that Trickster has been trying to create separation in humanity since you first arrived. And, and the methodologies that Trickster, Trickster uses anything to create this illusion of separation. Because we are an interbeing, as Thich Nhat Hanh says. We're, we are so interrelated that we're, we're one and we're interdependent. We're dependent completely on each other's well being. So, if you're going to bring down a construct like that, you have to create uh, the illusion of separation. And, um, and so they said Trickster uses race, um, Trickster uses um, economic disparity, even our view of the divine. But nothing has ever been more effective and longer running than the illusion of separation between men and women, between the masculine and feminine, between male and female. That one has 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 been the best one of all. And so I had to look at that and say, so they were telling me, you guys have been had and you just keep going for the bait over and over and over again. So... So I was in a place of of being able to pray for expansiveness and and ability to to hold something different. And what kind of came out was I realized, you know, as all this compassion for men was was arising, um, I began to get really afraid. And I had to face the fact that I had used shaming and belittling and undermining to try to keep... A toehold on enough power in this paradigm to be able to live with any kind of grace. And of course, how can you live in any kind of grace when that's your currency, your power currency, is 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 really devastating the heart and soul of another human being, and in this case, men as a woman. So I found it just extraordinarily vulnerable to open up that place and say I, I need to realize that the men are in trouble too in this paradigm and, and I need to step up. I mean, I'm not saying everybody does, but I felt I need to step up to see what I can do to heal this. Um, when I was at Machu Picchu and I was at the gates of Huayna Picchu in Peru. Um, I made a prayer there, and I said, you know, I, I came all this way, and it looks like I'm not going to be able to hike all the way up to you, but I'm at the gate, so is there, is there anything you want to say to me? And she said, make part of your work helping the men. They Made a prison of this life for themselves, and they want to get out, but they don't know how, but you can help them. And so, you know, I had to open up this place of vulnerability to to put down my rage I mean, my rage was part of how I sustained myself in such a system of oppression. And because I wasn't given, I don't have justice behind me, I mean, all we have to do is look at the Kavanaugh hearings and well, so many things going on in the United States government right now to know that there there is no law enforcement behind women. Economically, there's no, you know, we're still we're still um held back in, in just every way, you know. And so what was left to me. And, and my, at my disposal was shaming, <laughs> shaming and belittling and undermining, um, men in, and, and knowing how to do that. And I really feel like, you know, women, here we go. This is a big statement. Women have to take responsibility for that level of anger and, and trying and, and it's understandable, trying to have power in a power over paradigm, but it, but where, you know, and they can lash out at, at partners and even fathers or brothers. But see, it also, if we if we insist on holding on to that, it's also going to have to come down to our sons. And that means that we are setting up all new generations, <laughs> all new generations to follow that same dynamic. And so that's been a really big impetus for me to go ahead and open up that place even though it I mean it does feel like life and death I literally felt like I was gonna die if I really opened up to have the kind of the level of compassion that I could see was needed towards men Um, and to uphold them and to and to actually have pride in them and I feel you know and many of my partners have said that's what so many men crave the most from a woman is for they just want them to be proud of them like literally really truly genuinely proud and so this shaming and this undermining business is, is so toxic. It's not just toxic for the men. It's toxic for the women. But it's toxic for the sons. And therefore, it's going to be toxic for the daughters. I mean, it just keeps going, right? So I'm having a lot of joy now that I've kind of passed through that moment of terror. And it was terror to give up that leverage. But what a price that leverage has. The toxicity of it is hard to really estimate all the damage it does so now i have a kind of peace walking into men's nation and what's really amazing to me is that everywhere i go men respond to me in a completely different way than i've ever experienced in my whole life without me even saying anything about how i feel on this subject because my whole demeanor my whole energetic everything has changed and men can feel that i'm convinced at this point it's so it's so it's so our world is so hungry for it
0: wow so much in there i'm so grateful you quoted eve ensler who said that we can't see that which we don't have a narrative for and you alluded that you know we don't really have a narrative for the sacred masculine at this time like we don't have a story for men to live into and I'm curious now, in your travels and in in the time that you spent you know speaking about this, reflecting on it, receiving from your guides what has come to you about or maybe just hints of what this emerging mythology of the sacred masculine could be.
1: well, the the deeper I got into understanding what it means to be the female of our kind, of our species, being an open inquiry mm. and, and putting it out there to the great mystery. <laughs> show me, teach me, tell me. And then knowing what is possible through our ceremonies in which a woman is given a very specific role that nobody else can have. And, and for me, that happened to be during my menstruation times. Mm-hmm. Um, I, get, I began to understand a lot more about who I am and my whole vision of what being the empowered female changed. I started losing interest in what the men were doing in the sense of I don't need to be over there doing what they do in order to be relevant in this life or to have power or to have say, you know, the part that I need to cover is something that only I can cover. (laughs) So that was a really different place for me. And so I began to um, talk to myself. And so now I call myself holy earth surface walker, life bringer, life bearer. And I stand with the authority of the heart of Mother Earth. And I am fully authorized in every circumstance to speak on behalf of life and to ask if we are placing life at the center with any action that is proposed. I have that authority to speak that in any situation. So that's sort of a a nutshell of, gosh, 20 years of work. that and live that and embody that place and so then i thought well then who are the men you know in that same way one thing that i feel is that we are counterparts does that mean that that we can only be in binary relationships or partnerships or romances or you know sexual encounters no but but we are counterparts and and if we look around the the way this world works this natural world you know it's, it's, it's these are counterparts the masculine and feminine that's how life is moved forward and so um i think we i think it's really dangerous for us to to try to get around having you know just saying that and that's a hard thing to say in the world right now you get jumped immediately but i think we are really really headed for trouble if we get to a place where we can't say that and I really do think that a lot of the gender question right now is in response to the power over paradigm because of what gender has meant in that system. So it's a way, it's an, it's in a way, it's a natural response to try to speak truth to power. I guess you could say, as I look at the men, I see myself now as a dreamer, I'm a dreamer for the people and I can bring vision and I can bring instruction from the mother earth, like really practical information, practical in the physical world, but also practical in the emotional and spiritual, um, aspect of, of humanity. And I'm, I'm, I'm made for it. That's my biology. And so once I bring these visions out to community, then it's for community to come together and also feel into it and to decide, how can we enact this? How can we respond? And, um, so I say, uh, I see the men as being the architects of these dreams and visions that's a, a big part of their way is, is putting things together mechanics in a way there's something about the way that their mind and, and being is that that seems really made for that it's not to say that women don't have it also it's so interesting to me how every time we point out one thing that a gender has we immediately have to say oh but that's but I'm not just saying it's just them you know I mean it's we're, we're really we're really having to walk on eggshells right now to to talk about these something that is so crucial to our to our future, to our ability to have a future. So I, so, so for the men, I've been saying that they're the sacred architects. I've also been saying that you know if, if one of the most prominent features of the masculine is is their eros, which is in, which is in big question in the world right now, then I I'm going to open to to the possibility that this must be a huge part of their thriving life design. This is a crucial part of their thriving life design. And therefore it is not to be villainized. There has to be a way for the entire community, like elders, children, everybody to uphold and have appreciation for that aspect of masculinity. So how do we, how do we move into that? So one of the ways that I talk about it is I say that they, the the men carry a sacred fire that ensures that life is going to move forward. So they are sacred fire tenders as well. So now we have sacred architects and sacred fire tenders. And then, I, and then I heard, and I wish I could cite the source, I don't know who it was, but they said that they felt like the men were the banks of the river and, and I'm the river.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So there's a holding. Not a, not a damning, not a suppressing, but a holding. And, um, and so there's that aspect too and And protecting and providing you know I, I just have to say that I feel like that that's a really arch- archetypal part of their spiritual nature, And I always have to acknowledge when I say that 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 is a really tough thing to lay on men at this time in the world, with the economic situation being what it is, you know as we creep ever closer to like martial law um how how do they protect? But I still want to invoke that. I want to invoke it. And I want to say that, you know, I understand that that's a tough, tough ask. And I'm here to support the men in that as well. So those are some of the things that are arising for mm-hmm. me right now in terms of trying to have some kind of narrative for the sacred masculine.
0: I love those images of, you know, the architects of the dream and the, the sacred fire tenders and such a beautiful, evocative employment is what I hear that I think so much of the challenge has been in this, you know, maybe rightful critiquing of this lack of right relationship with, with these gifts or with these energies that the masculine carries. But there's been so little, at least in the dominant culture, so little articulation of how these gifts could actually be employed in a more beautiful way. And I really appreciate that in the, the images that you've given the, the emerging archetypes that you've given. And uh, as we wind to a close, and the hours moved far too quickly, I'd love for you to speak directly to men. And what would you say to them as, as an invitation into this new story?
1: Well, to Men's Nation, I say, I love you. I love you. You're sacred. You're sacred beings. You are made with such care. Your mind, your heart, your body, your spirit. Nothing is a mistake there. This earth receives you with all of her heart, with all of her goodness, with all of her abundance, with all of her clarity, the same way that she receives me, the female of our kind. And you have a perfect design for thriving life, to make life thrive, to to cause all of the feminine seeds to flourish that's another name i have for you the the waker of the dreaming egg (laughs) and you have a way to do that and i am really grateful for that i want to say to you those of you who are who are becoming fathers or who are fathers you know, you are our sacred warriors. You're our sacred protector. If I'm going to go deep into the dream womb and bring out the visions that can help us understand how to be here now, I need you. I need your protection. I literally need your protection while I'm in that place. I have no way to protect myself when I go into those journeys. And, and I literally need you to watch out for me, to watch over me and to help me that way. When I come out of that place, I I ask that you that you that you open to receive what I'm bringing, and and maybe I'm going to speak it in a language that is hard for you to understand. It's not going to come out in bullet points and, and powerpoints and linear. It's it, it's it's that's not the language of that world. So I need you to help me interpret it, and I also need you not to force me into any other language than, that I need to have to be able to bring those visions out and to have the patience and the love and the care for me and for the visions and for the Mother Earth who's trying to speak to us to let those visions come into linear thoughts and words that we can act on in their own time. So I need, I need you to change your pace a little bit to be able to receive what we need to hear right now. And I know that you also can hold visions and bring visions for us. And I will do the same for you. I want to say that those of you who are going to become fathers or who are fathers that as protector and provider, I want to ask you to protect your son's hearts, protect your son's hearts, protect all of their feelings from, from this power over paradigm, from the ridicule that men have received for their their hearts. Your sons need you to be a warrior for them and to shield them long enough to where they can understand and trust their own hearts and their own feelings. That's what we need you to do in this world, to make a different world. I pray for you. I pray for you to be just as powerful as you can possibly be in your mind, your heart, your body and your spirit. At one time, I was afraid to pray for you to be powerful because I felt like I was slitting my own throat <laughs> to pray for you to be powerful because we were competitors. But I'm not, a com- I'm not competing with you anymore. I'm not in the power over paradigm anymore. And so I don't need to hold you that way. So I pray for you to be powerful and I ask that you use all of that power, all of that strength that you hold to, and place it and direct it in support of thriving life here on this Mother Earth. And if you will do that, then I know that I will have nothing to fear. Our world will change. So I just want to tell you that I love you again. And I'm so grateful to have had this opportunity to be with you and to speak with you and to share my heart with you. And I'm listening for you to share your heart. There's nothing more beautiful or more powerful to me than to hear a man share his heart. So thank you.
0: I have tears on my face. So do I. Um, (laughs) I feel so grateful to be in the presence of such a blessing and an invitation on on behalf of you to men and the masculine. I'd love to know how to best support you and how the listeners can best support you to continue doing the incredible work that you're doing.
1: I am open to participating in men's gatherings. One of the things that they told me at, at uh, Machu Picchu, Picchu, was that I should hold talking circles for they said young men. And my sense was that was 16 to 30 years old or so. And that in each of the cardinal directions of the talking circle, there should be an elder woman present. And so I want to begin to do those. And then I was also told that I should meet with the men. And, and you know, I I have been carrying something called um, the feminine design and sustainability. And it's a really deep look into what I see as our spirit, the, how our biology gives us a spiritual capacity. And it can be anywhere from two hours to, you know, four days long. But I was told that I should present that to men and when i do that i should be the only woman present (laughs) and so um we have done one of those in devon england in the uk and we had about 40 men show up and we met for two days and it was extraordinary Mm, um so that's else that that i'm moving with and offering and i guess uh Finally, I'll mention that I'm right now I'm, con- I'm working on another archetypal wounding of humanity, which has to do with our relationship with science. And so I'm convening um, talking circles of scientists, not scientists who argue, you know, like there's nothing wrong with science, everything's fine, you know, but more scientists who have big questions about the field and where it's headed and even its history, or maybe ones who have left because they couldn't stay in it. So ones who kind of have you know, some idea that there is something a little off there. And I am gonna need funding to pull some of these circles together. Um, and I also need the names of, of who would be good. And in these circles, we'd like to have at least at least 50% women represented. And, and I think we said a third, um, at least uh, people of color. So I could also use some names that way and I have a website it's patmccabe.net
0: and is that a good way to also contribute if people actually want to contribute funds but is the website the best place yeah
1: yes and um, actually we'll be putting out um, I'll have my 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 friend my good friend uh, put a a donation button on there that's for um, tax deductible donations and that would be through the community learning network
0: wow well I feel deeply grateful for our time and uh, yeah. pat yeah i wonder is there anything to close that you know we didn't ask um or that spirit feels called to uh speak through you in the, in the final moments
1: i just you know i i really want to say that we humans but also every single life form around us is a sovereign being so we need to we need to have relationship with everything and everyone such that we can have consensual agreements about everything <laughs> and so that's if we can keep that in mind then we begin to step out of the power over paradigm because in the power over paradigm consent is nothing and, it, and it's even taught us to disregard our consent but i'm going to say that we live in a free will construct that is based on principles far outside of anything human made. We're not going to change those laws. We're not going to bend those laws to match us. We have to match them. And so in a, in a free will construct where everybody gets to do whatever the heck they want to do, I mean, look at us, here we go, we're doing it. Um, but, the, but the caveat is, you know, do we get to do anything we want to do and still have life on this planet? And that's a big question for us. But I'm going to say that in a free will construct, consent is everything. Your consent is so powerful. In terms of our genders, and because of the way the power dynamics have been, we have to be really paying close attention to creating relationships strong enough to create truly consensual agreements in in our relationships, in our economics, in our health, in our sexuality, in, in every arena. And, and so I don't know. I'm, one of my studies is to say, you know, how because I say really what has to happen in many ways is the men who feel like they're holding the power in this world, if indeed they do, how do they willingly just let it go and climb back climb down out of that pyramid? What is that process? But part of that process can be, I can only do that which I have received consent for. Consent from women, consent from earth, consent from water. <laughs> and if we begin to to include that in our consciousness, I believe that we will easily walk down out of this power over paradigm and into something that is truly thriving life.
0: Mm. Thank you so much, Pat. Yeah,
1: thank you, Ian.
0: Thank you for listening to today's Mythic Masculine podcast. If you liked what you heard, be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you're listening, and leave a comment. And if you'd like to support future episodes, head over to my Patreon page at patreon.com slash Mac. That's patreo dot slash i-a-n-m-a-c-k to become an ongoing funder. Thank you.